So like, would you rather live somewhere where you felt where you could only feel one emotion for the rest of your life? Or would you rather live somewhere where you would feel all emotions in smaller doses? Which would you rather? All emotions in smaller doses? All emotions that exist in smaller doses or pick one emotion to feel for the rest of your life. I mean, one emotion for the rest of your life could be really good. It could be, especially if you get to pick it. It could also be really bad. Yeah, like if you had no control over what it was going to be. Oh, gosh. I mean, I live currently in a uh, constant... State of anxiety and stress, we know. (laughs) Anxiety, stress, and anger. So like I kind of run with just a generally high blood pressure. Um, I mean, the doctors don't think so, but I I feel like it. Um, Mm. So having, is relax an emotion? Like calm, I guess calm would be the emotion. Uh, Peace. Peace. So if if I could just live at peace, I can get just that. Just a constant state of euphoria. Just a constant, <laughs> just a, not even euphoria because I'm. It's not like twenty four seven o face, mm. but it's it's like uh just just contentedness, mm, like just okay. constant contentedness. I would be happy. Uh, I think for me it would just be. I tend to be a bubbly person. I'm quite a happy no. guy. No, I'm not. Not at all. No. Um, so I like the idea of just being joyful all the time and avoiding the stress that nobody else sees. Yeah. See, I'm the opposite. I would like to feel every emotion possible in small doses because I would know that it would end. Fair. 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 Yeah. Like I, <laughs> my, my answer is all small doses, right? Like, cause my, my emotions now are just extreme ends and there's yeah. very little middle. So small doses of, is, is what we call healthy mental state. And I would love that. <laughs> Impossible. This is only for a place for the gods, my lad. <laughs> well, let's talk about it. It's a mimic, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on Dungeons and Dragons lore. I'm Dan, and with me today are Megan and Tyler. And this episode is called The Upper Plains, Goodness Gracious. Because they're the good play. Anyways, we've previously covered all sorts of locations in D&D 5E, including locations in the material plane, popular locations from the published adventures, and alternate campaign settings. Before we turn our gaze to some planar travel in the Forgotten Realms, let me just remind everyone that we've already visited some of the other planes, like the Shadowfell, the Feywild, and the Astral Sea, and the Lower Plains. You can find all of these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you could jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on D&D lore that we've built there. This episode, however, focuses on the five uppermost uh, of the upper planes in the Forgotten Realms cosmology and looks at what you could expect as players in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. This awesome panel of Dungeon Masters is going to start orderly and descend rapidly into chaos as we traverse these outer planes. So buckle up for a whirlwind tour of Mount Celestia by Topia, Elysium, the Beastlands, and Arborea. But before we get started, let's officially welcome Tyler into the Guildhouse. It has been months since we've spoken to you on mic during all those mob episodes, although you are one of our main editors. So (laughs) I speak to you multiple times a week. Um, All of our bullshit. Yeah. But let's get listeners up to speed with who you, Tyler, actually are, what your involvement is with the podcast, other than the massive spoiler I just dropped, and your history with D&D and tabletop role-playing games. Tyler, go. Uh, So one thing is I'm a geek, which I'm not just because I love to play D&D, but I love most games, whether it's board games, card games, video games, social games, 
I love playing games with my three kiddos and my wife. I even like playing mind games with people, but don't tell anyone. Now, this is an audio medium, so none of you know that I'm tapping my nose. <laughs> um, but I would say my beginning of liking D&D was probably because I grew up in a with fantasy-ish things around me. I played video games as a kid, stuff like Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger. There was a great Dragon Ball Z uh, RPG game on Super Nintendo. It was amazing. I loved it. Can, can I just say, right room. Right room. room for the dozen. These are, these for the, are the, three, the three Dragon Ball Z fans right yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. Um, like role played as Krillin when I was a teenager every I, t- moment I could. Like I, I it was Goku for me. No man, Krillin all the way. Krillin okay, was a real hero of that. No, no, no. Vegeta is just Fair daddy, enough. daddy Fair Vegeta, enough. guys. I <laughs> it wasn't Daddy Raditz, really? Really? <laughs> no, man. No. Raditz is a bitch in comparison to Vegeta. <laughs> So this okay, we're gonna have to talk Anyways, we're gonna talk about Dragon Ball Z. All right, so give give me your your emotions on the Majin Boost saga. Mm, Not canon. (laughs) A good side story. Yeah, okay. Um, but I grew up with this stuff and it kind of really influenced me. So when my one of my best friends in high school had mentioned that he was playing DD, I was thinking, DD, can I join? I'm curious, what is this? And instead of him being all for it and saying, yes, absolutely, here you, yeah, I'll be happy to have you on board. He just looks at me in the eye and says, are you sure? <laughs> and then I say, yes. And then he slaps down a 500 page photocopied PHP that was printed off probably illegally. And it was single-sided. And yeah. I'm thinking, oh boy. We, 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 me and my friends in high school, well, I guess middle school were banned from the library community printers because we printed off the uh ad and d uh player's handbook and monster manual i believe it i believe it incompletion yeah um i only read what i needed to because i was lazy i still am to a point but i was lazy so i only read what i needed to to make a character and know the basic structure and it was great i had so much fun however after high school i didn't really have people to play with anymore in my in my head at least i'm like who plays dnd i'm not in high school anymore so I took about uh, about a 10-year hiatus, okay. uh, occasionally playing some TTRPGs, uh, a couple of D&D times, mostly Star Wars D20. Again, I'm a nerd, can't help it. But it wasn't until Brad from the podcast uh, invited me one day at church saying, do you want to join a Pathfinder campaign? And I hopped on board real fast. Was that the one I was running? He, no, that was the one. Or was that, that after I bailed the first time? That was after you bailed the first time. Uh, and then memories yes um and then that eventually turned into the clear cut campaign or at least the group yeah and well it's been a while since that's been going but about four years ago i also started dming uh fifth edition group and it has been so much fun and we're almost done this campaign Cool. We've been running the same campaign for four years. We loved it. And we're almost done when we're going to start a new one. Fantastic. That's crazy. Uh, so what do you do for us at the podcast? So I've been listening since the trailers have been released. And I, I love appreciate listening it. To- You're welcome. <laughs> um, and before the Call of Cthulhu series came out, Dan had asked me if I wanted to help out with some music. To write some background music for it. I'm like, eh, sure, why not? Absolutely. And then he says, okay. And then he hands me a list 
and he gives me a time frame. You didn't know what you were getting into. <laughs> no, I didn't. But see, Levy, it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, and so I've been writing music with the podcast uh, since then, and uh, helping with some of the mom mentality episodes, helping with editing, and uh, yeah. here we are. Yeah, today. we re- we recently got you in on the editing uh, thing because editing has taken on a little bit of a life of its own, and uh, we appreciate you for it. So. Pretty much any music other than the intro and outro of the podcast, which is our mutual friend, Corey, that wrote and did that on his bass. Amazing bass player. Amazing bass player. uh, Puts me to shame. Um, Mm. But he, you have written every other piece of music that is not just like last minute grabbed from some like royalty free website that the podcast has used like 88% random statistic um of the music in call of cthulhu and uh the commercials has all been you it's been a lot of fun yeah so if 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 the commercial music annoys you then tell me and i'll write a new one another one that annoys you (laughs) i have told you to write i've told you to write me several commercials (laughs) music things still waiting tyler anyways it's great to have you good to have you on an actual episode so let's get into it here now because since the three of us are obviously the gooderest hosts on the podcast. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> I'm gooderest than Brad is. <laughs> um, I, Brad Brad rates uh, fairly low on that list. He put <laughs> he speaks a good game. He, he acts a good game, but that man has got some spice. Yeah, he's got some spice <laughs> to him. <laughs> We're all very vanilla. Anyway, so okay. <laughs> Go on. Sorry, I'll so, I'll, uh, I'll stop. Yeah. anyways since we are the three gooderest hosts on the podcast it makes sense that the three of us today would be covering the upper planes but to truly understand the upper planes and really the majority of the planes it's important to first understand alignment now it briefly appeared that 5e was going to be going to a completely different direction and divert completely from the alignment chart but fortunately they heard the scream of the 10 million nerds and course corrected and that's not the case anymore alignment's still a thing alignment tells us how an entity perceives both both morality and order slash society morality is defined on a good versus evil access scaled where order is measured law versus chaos it's an important thing to note as an aside from the topic at hand here that alignment isn't a hard and fast rule. Unlike previous editions, you aren't necessarily bound to act in a certain way if your character is a certain alignment. It should influence your character's decisions, but everyone who looks at you and says, that doesn't sound so lawful good, is just proving the point that alignment is a generalization and the specifics are up to every character, okay? I've I've had way too many times in my gaming life where someone has been like, that doesn't sound like a lawful good action, they're paladin, and I'm like, Go fuck yourself. I'm going to kill this thing. So it killed my best friend. I'm going to murder its face. Exactly. (laughs) I'm allowed to have an emotion. Thank you. (laughs) You can judge how good I am after I'm done. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Now, if you take the law versus chaos and mix it with the good versus evil, Dozens of Dragons has always broken that down into a nine alignment chart from lawful and good to chaotic and evil and every mix in between. So if you do what is good and expected by society, you're lawful good. If you're controlled by your greed, avarice, or straight bloodlust, you're likely chaotic evil. However, if you do what's best for those around you, regardless of the tenets of law or society, you're likely neutral good. But if you do the best for exclusively yourself, you're neutral evil. It's fairly easy to break down where these alignments sit. 
So it seems that the design of the planes has also been built off the alignment chart with many of them being the pinnacle of that respective alignment. In stock D&D, this makes for what is called the great wheel layout of the planes with the material plane in the middle branching out to the inner planes and transitory planes to the upper and lower, i.e. good and evil planes. And finally to the outer limit, I mean, outer planes where the wibbly wobblies all come from. These planes form a kind of circular border around the material plane and thus a great wheel kind of cosmology is born. There are a few other ways to think of the cosmos, and if you're homebrewing and want a unique planar landscape, look at page 44 in your DMG for some ideas. It has things like the world tree cosmology and the, the river cosmology. Like It's got some other options there for you. But since we're covering the upper planes, or the good ones, we should have an idea of specifically what good means. Now, whether or not you believe in objective morality or divine source of morality, which we're not getting into that discussion here, we can see that Dozens of Dragons holds to a good morality as being one that is concerned with the life and the quality slash sanctity of it. Charity, compassion, graciousness, these are all aspects of good. Remember, though, although good in a vacuum is infallible and clear when added in a perception of society and justice, the idea of good in a plainer sense might not match what the idea of good in a material, like, reality sense is, in a society sense. Like, if a thousand lives could be saved at the cost of one innocent soul, is taking that innocent soul's life a good action? A hundred souls? Ten? Is it a one for one? we can start to see how different philosophies would answer that question. So as we get going here, before we start breaking down actual planes here, guys, let's roll the dice. I got a couple questions for us. Sure. I got an eight. Three. 17. All right. So uh, Tyler, then me, then Megan. Um, the two most common conflicts with good aligned creatures and characters are misunderstandings and unbending moral rigidity. What, uh, sorry, what is one other unique kind of conflicts players might run into in a campaign regarding their alignment? I think one of the biggest ones is this idea of the immediate good versus the big picture good. Yeah, yeah. This idea of, or even this idea of seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. But you don't see, unlike the DM who kind of has the big picture sense, it's like, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. For me, it's no evil person really ever sits there and goes, I'm evil. Like Lex Luthor isn't, he is thinking he is doing the thing that is good for him. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is adding to a subjective level of morality here, but uh, whether or not they're actually evil, an evil person's perception of what is good and how that is defined is a great way to bring conflict into a game and something I have done countless times, like a character who was raised by a cult in such an effective vacuum that leaving that to then see what the moral basis and standards of society is, was mm -hmm. an active conflict. It was an active thing like lizard folk going, wait, 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 we don't just eat the dead. Why don't we just eat the dead? You bury them, but we could be eating them and that would sustain everybody. That was going to be what I was going to bring up is like the con the concept of like dealing with different species and different folks that have yeah. different like outlooks on life that are, lead to things that are morally amb ambiguous, such as waste. So for lizard folk, it is the fact that if someone passes away, 
that is now sustenance for the group that is now currently alive. Whereas other groups of folks would be like, no, we need to bury this, respect it, do some kind of like a ritual. So we're not cursed for the rest of our lives. And that's the moral, like strong point standing where it's like a survival versus morality, I find is a really good one, especially putting your players in a situation where if you, um, sources are actually hard to find. And sometimes the only way to get those sources are to steal, are to lie, are to yep. murder, are to do these things. But they mean these situations that survival is key and making that fear real brings out that moral ambiguity for sure. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, it's just really crazy though. That you, Imagine having that in a party that you have these two different cultures. If you have good role players, it's so fun yeah. to see how that plays out. D&D should be a safe place for you to engage in fun little, I don't know, social experiments like this, right? Uh, as characters where you and a friend kind of debate perspectives at, a, at, at the table through role playing. Of course, done respectfully of the time of the other people at the table and everything else, but Um, The other thing that kind of tweaks me out here is morality when it is bound to spirituality, Mm. right? When, when morality is seen as either God given, or if it's there's superstition and ritual to it, um, that's where you're going to get more conflict from people. Cause what is good to somebody is going to be like, is it good to bury? Is it good to cremate or is it good to consume or do we put them on an iceberg and push them out to sea? Or do we like what uh, you look at, like how people deal with their dead and what is good is usually just what is spiritual and what is uh, dogma, right? And those two things should really kind of be separated. Bring out your dead. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I'm yeah. not dead yet. <laughs> I feel happy. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, have you ever played in the upper plains? Or dealt with anything besides like a, a I mean, the go-to is Mount Celestia, but have you, have you ever played in a heaven setting or in the upper planes? I can't say that I have. I want to, but more often than not, I'm DMing than playing. And I don't bring my uh, players into the heavenly settings because they tend to be more hell-bent okay. and uh, more crazy. And I would want to, I think though, after looking into this a little bit, I would want to bring them into this kind of setting to see just how they would react. Yeah. And more of the hell of Inverness. I'm sorry, uh, Averness. Inverness is a town in Scotland. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> Might right? be hell, depending on your perspective. Um, but like, more like they they more want to travel Avernus and the nine levels of hell than the happy hunting grounds, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah kind of the same for mm-hmm. me i i have done some time in the happy hunting grounds and elysium and valhalla like these ideas of a heaven type but they're only like brief glimpses so you could go talk to a god and get the hell out to deal with your problems right like i'd never spend a long time in these planes yeah i feel like it's meant to be like a short-lived period of time Especially yeah. when you look at some of the effects that a lot of these planes will have on uh-huh. people when they are inhabited within these places. It's not a place that your group would spend a lot of time unless that is where they're going to be for the rest of their lives kind of feel, especially when it comes to like the upper planes or the lawful planes or the good ones. Like, yeah. why would you ever want to leave? Right. Oh, so, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of Buffy, right? Like the entire oh, conflict yeah. of mm. her, like she was resurrected from heaven and she's like, guys, I didn't want to leave. Yeah. Like. Come okay, on. let's bring let's bring us back to Dragon Ball Z. When Goku died and went to go train, he yep. was like, "No, I don't want to be brought back to life. Like I'm living my best life here, being trained by the gods. Thank you. Peace out." Like <laughs> that's true. <laughs> 
I love how I can always bring it back to Dragon Ball Z. I, I challenge yeah. you then. Know what, Megan? Uh, I am going to straight up issue a challenge between the three of us. Mm. <laughs> Every single one of these planes at the end, the question we're okay, there's a format to these podcast episodes. Uh, when we get to the end and we ask our little questions, one of them is, how is this Dragon Ball Z? So we're going to we're gonna move on from there and then Adam's going to hate us and it's going to be great. And Fair I will feel the okay, I'm editing. joy in my heart. I'm yeah, down. you're editing, so we're good. <laughs> um, so let's start on, uh, I guess what would be, if you're looking at the wheel, the left. Um, let's, let's go with the most lawful good of lawful good. Tyler, talk to us about the first one of the upper planes, Mount Celestia. Okay, guys. So as Dan has already mentioned, it is the lawful good plane and it's about as lawful good as you can get. It's in direct opposition to the nine hells, essentially. And it is essentially your paladin's perfect paradise. And it is insane. This is a mountain, for one thing. And it's not just a mountain. It is the mountain. It is enormous. It's rising up from the Silver Sea, which 5th edition tells us nothing about. Nope. Thanks. But, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. I feel it needs to be mentioned that there's not a lot of information on these. Oh, yeah. 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 There's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of reading from previous editions and uh, convenient wiki articles for this. Yeah, um, absolutely. A lot of yes. bullshit. <laughs> We've gotten a lot of information from like the DMG and uh, like Sword Coast Adventures Guide has some info on the planes. Not um, much. But, uh, no, not, I mean, not, 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 not enough for a true lore nerd to really dig into right it's like 60 uh, six paragraphs you're like oh well okay yeah one paragraph each yeah it's it, it is sad so we're, we're trying our best guys we are but if you're looking at mount celestia if you're even looking at it it's so high that it's it says in fifth edition at least that it's almost mesmerizing like it you stare at awe at this thing now there are seven layers to Mount Celestia. And you can think of it as seven peaks. That's what fifth edition uh, says. So whether you want to call this a mountain range or a singular mountain, that's up to the DM. Or if you're a DM, it's up to you. What you want to do with this, be creative, have fun with it. It is a land, uh, it is essentially a land of supreme grace and unending mercy. Now, before we go any further with that, let's just look at that for just one quick second here. Um, this idea of supreme grace and unending mercy, what do these mean? These are terms that are probably thrown out there. Some people understand what these mean, some people do not. Really quickly, to use this in your campaign, think of it this way. Grace is this idea of you are being given something good that you don't deserve. So this idea of supreme grace is this out of this world, this celestial grace that you don't understand, that you've been given, that you don't deserve. And mercy, on the other hand, is when something bad is taken away from you that you do deserve. Now, this is like a celestial mercy, so maybe you still don't understand it. It's this bad thing that you should have that they've taken away. And so play with this in your campaigns. Do what you will with it, that this is essentially a land of grace and mercy. Have fun with it. See what you can do with it. It's an interesting way to describe it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like it seems very black and white, but if you were a player in the moment trying to think of what this boon or what this curse was, like, it's a good way to kind of like think about it in the aftermath. No, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one side or the other. It's just like, wow. Um, 
and that's why I think Mount Celestia is not just meant for the lawful good people. That's the people who reside there, who live there. But anyone, any good alignment would feel fine going there because this idea of, of this grace and mercy, because you did something wrong. That's not right, but that's okay. We'll forgive you. We like you. Um, but it's like this idea also that they're all striving to get to the next layer of heaven because it is seven layers. And I imagine each one is higher than the other and they strive, they try and earn their way to get to the next layer. Now, here's the other thing about Mount Celestia, the other side of it, it is the defender of the good realms. This is your, your first line of defense and your last line of defense. These, this is where essentially all of the warriors of the good realm come from. There's other realms too that have it, but this is like the place. This is where they launch into, for example, the uh, nine hells. This is where it came from. As for as for unique mechanics that you have in this place, there's this optional rule called blessed uh, beneficence. Did I say that right? You did. You're good. I think, okay, good. Uh, I am an excellent judge of that question. <laughs> much much better judge than I am. I will I will assure. Recent episode, Adam shit on me for using the word. What was it? Uh, uh, potentiality. And it became a thing. And I'm like, motherfucker, I'm right. That is an actual word. I get a lot of shit for making up words on the podcast. When they're actual words, I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I just hey. change the word in the script if I can't pronounce it. I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> make, make it your own, guys. You know, like uh, Sawagin, you know. <laughs> Stop it. Okay, I trained for days for that podcast. I learned that one from Final Fantasy IV. That's how I how I learned to say it. Uh. <laughs> Continuing on. Yes, go on. <laughs> this idea of the blessed beneficence is this idea of as long as you're in a good alignment, you have you essentially have bless as long as you're on this plane, which is pretty awesome. As long as you're here. And also after every long rest, it's also a lesser restoration. That's so useful, yeah. That is incredibly useful, uh, especially if you have an easy way of getting in here and back out. But that's not always the case, really. <laughs> You're traveling along the Astral Sea and see a particularly glowy, bright puddle. <laughs> like, Which one is it? It's gold. Hey, gold. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> this is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm getting closer. No. Um, as for the common people that we... <laughs> That's what the common people we find here, guys. What, let's remind ourselves. What's the name of this place? Mount Celestia. Who do you think resides here? Celestials. Wow. So clever. So clever of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh. As for something we already talked about already is this is kind of the, the gold pool. And if you travel on the astral planes, there's like, it can be different colored pools. Gold pool means uh, Mount Celestia. As for a couple of people, noteworthy in fifth edition that we hear about, is uh, Zariel. She was the one leading the army of angels. Remember we talked about this is like the main garrison. She was leading the angels from Mount Celestia into the blood war. And well, we saw how that went. Yeah, it didn't turn out too well for her. No, no. But uh, another- We ran into her in our campaign recently, by the way. She's fantastic in our campaign. Wait, hold on. Fantastic as in good fantastic? As in chained at the bottom of this uh, massive gladiatorial arena, being the source of energy that uh, like is constantly producing food as an act of penance for her because Mm. she messed up so badly. It's good. Nice. Now you're getting me jealous. (laughs) But uh, another very common person you'll find here, or maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have to find, is Bahamut. And with 
Bahamut being kind of the good centralized god of dragons, this is where he resides, somewhere on Mount Celestia. That's all 5th edition tells us. It makes sense because Tiamat is known to be on the first layer of hell, so. Exactly, yeah. Uh, But let's explore a little bit, not long, just really briefly, briefly into what other sources tell us about Mount Celestia here. Well, unlike 5th edition, we can find all the different, the names of the different planes. If we look, I think it was 3.5 and 4th and edition, we can find the names and what they kind of are. For example, I'm just, just going to list them out really fast. I'm not even going to explain what they are. You can choose, you can look it up yourself. But the seven layers are this. Lunia, which is the first layer, the silver heaven. Uh, Mercuria is the golden heaven. Venya, the pearly heaven. Solania, the Electrum Heaven. Uh, uh, I hate Electrum. Get out of my game. (laughs) Well, then you, oh, fine. Then we'll go to the, is it Mertion or Mershon? Mershon. Mershon, that's a, is the Platinum Heaven. That's better. That's, that's where Bahamut is and I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Uh, yes and no. Uh, Primarily. Primarily, it travels. Yeah. But you got also Jovar, which is the glittering heavens. I, I That sounds really fun to me when I looked into that. And then Cronius, the illuminated heaven. So I'm not going to even go into any of those, but just to get a brief idea, these are the seven layers of heaven. Um, and it gives Now, me- was that order from least to greatest? Yeah, that was order from first the, to the, the first layer to the seventh layer. First to the great. Cool. Yeah. Uh, again, have fun with it. it would, I encourage you guys, look into it, research it. It's There's a lot of stuff in each one. I'm just briefly going over. Uh, as for the common people, we actually get a bit more into what the people that we might find here. First of all, uh, Archons. Uh, and people who died and gone to Mount Celestia essentially become Lantern Archons, which is, again, briefly telling. I'm not even going to go into more. But we also see Solars, Hollyphants, which is Adam's favorite. Oh, yeah, he loves them. Yeah. Planetars, foo creatures, uh, divas, agathia. Uh, sorry, my fault. Yes, they are divas, though. <laughs> Davas are divas. You are correct. <laughs> uh, agathia, shedu, uh, lamasu, kirin, and dragon horses. I would love to ride a dragon horse. Yeah, kirin, kirin are pretty badass. Uh, yeah. Those of us who have played Pathfinder, and specifically within <laughs> Galarian, when you hear the name Lamasu, it's Ooh. it's jarring to hear that yep. in, in a celestial frame of mind. Lamashtu in Pathfinder is the god of uh, monsters, the goddess of monsters. So like she's super evil and a uh, constant bad guy whenever you're doing stuff. So they're different. The they're difference, different. Yes. Very different. This it is, hits this different. One letter. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, common people are, we already know, Bahamut and Zarya. But this is also a place where you have Tyre, which we, I'm just going to list these off. Tyre, Moradin, Berenard, uh, Berenard Trusil, which is a, of the dwarven deities. You got Yondela, which is a halfling deity. You got Lulu, Zarya's, I can keep going, but I'm not going to. But you got Tyre's court, Bahamut's palace, and the heavenly city of Yesteria. There's so much that you could go into here that I am purposely not. So I encourage you guys, please look into it. This is what has inspired me to actually go into more of the heavenly realms because there's so much that can be explored. Well, guys, let's actually roll dice and ask the question, what inspires you most about Celestia as a realm? I got a three. I got a 10. I got a one. So Nailed. Megan? Yeah. Celestia, what is it in Dragon Ball Z? Oh. <laughs> 
I'm Kami's Kami's peak. What is that called? Um, His like little Kami's landing. Yeah, Yeah, Kami's landing. Yeah, Kami's landing. Because like, if you actually look at Kami's landing, there are different layers because um, there's different people live on the different layers until you get up to the top. All right, all right. That tracks. What do you feel about like what what inspires you most about Mount Celestia? Uh, that it's a lot. I feel like it's one of those places where you can land your players into one layer, one place, one organization, one plot place, and they yeah. wouldn't even know they were on Mount Celestia. You know what I mean? They wouldn't even know that they were there unless someone legitimately told them that they were there. And I think that that's such a brilliance to the meta side of things whereas the dm would know exactly where they are or those like legendary DD players will know where they are but there'd be those new players to the game that have no fucking idea that this is where they are you know what i mean and i think that that's such a brilliance of this place is how large how established and how exciting and extravagant this place can be yeah and also consider like the seven layers are so individual and and distinct from each other the same way the nine layers of hell are individual and distinct from each other. They're still the nine layers of hell and they fit under that category. But there's one that is made of ice and one that is made of a giant river and one that is made of nothing but mold and one that is made of fire and brimstone and one that is literally just a city. So like it's, there's there's things there with these other locations that are very distinct and unique. And if, if, you don't necessarily want to do Mount Olympus, right? And and like, you've just played God of War and your feeling about the gods is just kind of like, so, I mean, let, let's look at something else and maybe go towards Jovar or uh, find, the, find the joys of Venya, right? Like yeah. you can have different tones with the different layers. And that for me is what I love. The, the, the unique flavor of the layers kind of gives you that, ability to uh pop in and out and have different perspectives on what heaven is for the lawful good of the various races right no yeah and actually my answer is actually relatively the same the, it's the fact that each layer is different it's not all the same yeah. uh, that everything is lawful good yes but each layer can have a different aspect of what is good and not only this but how do you prove yourself in each layer yeah well, actually, that, that leads us into our next question real real uh, nicely. What is a good plot hook that could see a party end up on Mount Celestia? Megan? This would definitely be a game of the gods. So I feel like it would be like your paladin or your cleric or even weirdly enough, your wizard or your like anyone that has some kind of a godly connection will want to come to this place in hopes of finding their God or some kind of spiritual connection or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. Or they were born here and now they're, leveled somewhere and their goal is to find their way back to this place right like i feel like that's the classic plot hook that you can use because it's so godly and so celestial that it, it just makes sense to me right yeah i would i would go the inverse dante with this and have like your characters need to go and talk to one of their npcs that is clearly going to be in heaven like died out of circumstance was a pillar of the community kind of person kind of npc died and now only that npc knows the answer to a question and your party must journey to the heavenly realms to ask that person the answer to this question that will solve and open up the next leg of the campaign um for me it's the idea of i want the party to look for bahamut oh yes love the bahamut tie yeah yeah just this idea of they have to search the different layers because yeah sure he's primarily in one layer but he also 
let's go to the other ones. Mm -hmm. And so your party has to not only search the different layers, but find out how, how do they earn their way into each layer or supposedly earn their way in order to find the hammer. Mm. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break from the regular lunacy for just a second and shift gears. This is in direct response to a private message I received from one of our listeners, and I didn't think it could wait for a mailbag episode. Every table has tensions. Every passion waxes and wanes. Every friendship gets tested. I myself have personally seen more than a few D&D groups disband for a number of reasons. Some were handled well, some were handled poorly, and I've lost friends over this game. So let me tell you the little pieces of wisdom I have to give for when D&D starts to become too stressful. First of all, it's okay to take a break sometimes. Spending some time at home after a stressful day or taking a few weeks off to gain some perspective on a fictional story is okay. You're allowed to stop and breathe. You're allowed to take time for yourself and recenter your priorities. You're allowed to regenerate if you're feeling burned out. Players, if you're having an issue at the table, then finish your session, wait a couple of days, and then talk with the others. Be reasonable, be clear, and be calm. Don't be accusatory. And understand that not every DM out there has experience with conflict resolution. Dungeon Masters, if there is an issue at your table, then you need to listen to the players, and you need to listen to yourselves as well. I recommend postponing the next session to let things settle. If someone else has an issue, it's not your job as a DM to settle it. A moderator of rules is not necessarily a mediator of conflict. But it is your job as a friend to make sure that people you play with are having fun and feeling emotionally safe. And DMs, if the person at the table having a conflict is you, then it's okay to turn to your friends and communicate about it. Be open and honest and remain calm. And if you need to take some time off, then that's okay too. DM burnout is real. I myself get so damn tired having to justify myself to hostile players, repeat myself for the fourth time, and manage everybody else's schedules. That's not my job, and it's not what I signed up to do. And it's not your job either. I'm allowed to take some time for myself, and so are you. So, everybody, I want to say that you don't need permission to be okay. You don't need permission to defend yourself or to speak up for yourself. But if you want it, here's my permission. You should take care of yourself. You should take care of your friends, and you should take care of your passions. Just make sure that you communicate like adults and aim for a peaceful middle ground. Take some time to collect your thoughts and calm your emotions. And if possible, resolve your conflicts face to face. And as an additional note to tack on the end, I just want to encourage everyone to be mindful of your mental health and of others. If you need help, ask. If you feel unsafe, speak up. Remember that someone out there loves you deeply and if it doesn't feel that way now, 
You don't know about the person out there who is waiting for destiny to bring you together as allies, friends, or even family. There are always tools to help in any situation, and it's okay to ask for guidance and assistance. You are just one person, and there are a lot of issues in the world today. We get through it together, not apart. No one is expecting you to be perfect. It is okay to ask for help. Remember, the most important person to your passion is yourself, and you deserve protecting. You deserve to be happy. But others deserve to be happy as well. So compromise where you can, and take time if you need. But stay calm, be honest with yourself and with others, and don't be afraid to ask for help. All right, I'm going to talk about Bytopia. Such a great yeah. sounding place, right? Oh yeah, it, so- it definitely sounds like something that comes with an ointment. An ointment, I'm sorry. Yeah, right? Like, oh man, I, I I got a real bad case of mytopia. Or this is just a place where no one kink shames, you know? That's all it is. <laughs> so basically the easiest way to consider this place is it is a, a, a land of two layers that are called the twin paradises. They're equally the same and equally different is what the concept is between the two of them. And the way I read it is described is if you looked upwards from one of the lands, you would see the other land facing upward, flipped, flipped. So you're, you're sandwiched together. It's like Inception. Together. Yeah. So you can see, you can see above you, right? Is it that close? Like, is it Inception or is it like a uh, Halo ring world kind of thing where like you could see it kind of distantly? And then- I, they, it is very quite specific that gravity obviously works respectively for each place, but you can fly between the two. So, so it's Inception. So it's Inception. Yeah. It's like, Hey, look at those dudes walking on the ceiling. 100%. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I was trying to decipher the names of the two different planes, but similar to the other planes, the names are in other editions and it was hard for me to kind of compile which land was which. So I'm going to take a stab at this. Yeah. One... <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Fantasy words. So <laughs> layer one is Dothian, which uh, is one layer that is thought to be more bountiful and like pasteurized. So in my mind, I assume that this is a place that is like large farmlands, peaceful working folks, and just a very, very positive place to live. The second layer is called Shurok, uh, when it's considered to be an unbound wild. So which I imagine something more lush forests and untraveled and untamed lands. So as a whole, this place will overwhelm its visitors with like a sense of like goodness and happiness. And actually gives you the sense of accomplishment and productivity, which I feel like for me, this is my dream world. This, it just, I feel like in my mind, this place is very organized. Every day is the same. There's a routine. There are seasons. The weather is the same. Like everything just rotates and just works in synergy. It's always two o'clock on a Thursday and the sun is up. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. There's no adjustments. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's just an overwhelming like feeling of pride of like the lovely and the, the way that work feels for folks all those that inhabit it like inhabit this place are sentient and intelligent so that was very specific in the fact that people are very smart and even the wildlife can speak um such as like some of the people that would be there be like treants and other like plants that are sentient and alive you're a narnia 
you're basically yeah. a Narnia. So I feel again, like I feel like this would be like your satyrs, your like other yeah. like very like lifelike animal like creatures who live here. And then the uh, optional thing with this land is that if travelers spend more than a day here, then they have to make a wisdom saving throw or shift their alignment closer to the good side. And then of course, if you cast a remove magic spell or what have you, it'll go away. However, it does become permanent after one d four days. Remove magic spell. Remove oh, magic spell nonsense. <laughs> I, I think, remove curse. Dis- Spell magic? Yeah, there's too many of them. So I'm just going to use a generalized remove magic spell. (laughs) Just remove magic spell. (laughs) Remove the magic. That's a new spell. Yeah. Um, Yeah. However, yeah, again, it does become permanent after 1d4 days. So as I mentioned before, I feel like this is a long time. No, that not and that's, a long time. that's what I mean, is I feel like these lands are very much those places that make characters and players want to stay. So it's kind of like, it's so hard to have a fully lived, fleshed out campaign in one of these lands, unless mm-hmm. you're just going to be happy fucking go lucky people 24 seven, which I'm not going to lie to you, would annoy the fuck out of me. <laughs> Where's my conflict, damn it? Yeah, give me my emotional conflict. Give me my heartbreak. Give me my like, what's going on here? Like, yeah. fuck off. But yeah. Otherwise, that's it. It's pretty basic. It's not that. It's not that complicated. It's a very simple place. Okay. Well, let's roll some dice and ask the questions. I got an eighteen. Nine. Seven. All right. So, Dan. Yes, Dan. What okay. inspires you most about Bytopia? Honestly, this realm of unfettered productivity and invention, and at the same time, peacefulness and serenity. I. Yeah, it it appeals to me in so Mm. many ways, right? Like this is where good mages go to die to further research spells. So like I I am I am seeing like mage towers of just no bad effects happening. Like there's never any fallout of the magical research that is happening there. Right. (laughs) There's 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 not suddenly a plague that is sweeping the plains of Bytopia. No, it, it's it's like, oh yeah, what's what's his name in the Dungeons and Dragons Damodar? Like mm. this is a movie where Jeremy Irons lives. Like it's it's a good place, right? So not your traditional wizard's tower. Not not your traditional wizard's tower. And like things are beneficial and people are helping each other out. Mm. And there's a meeting of the minds and uh discourse and uh debate, but like passionate, friendly debate. I, I, oh man, like there, there's so much about Bytopia that just speaks to me. Mm. Um, I, I, I like it. I, I really do like it. it. I don't think it would be my ideal, but there are definitely appealing factors. Okay. So I will take this one step further for you because my thoughts are in the thought that each world is equal and or the opposite of each other. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would almost play into the fact that there is an opposite and equal reaction to the actions that you take. So if you are on one of the layers of the plane and you do something, there is going to be an opposite and equal reaction on the other plane. But a good opposite? But depends. If you do a good spill, good spill, good spell, uh, something negative will happen. At a the good above spill would count to like you spill you know? your milk and, yeah. what, and then the ground just spawns cookies on, on the, the other, other side. side. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, how crazy would that be? Like, your characters literally fuck shit. Like, let's say you jumped in here because you're trying to save your friend or do your shit, and then you just murdered a bunch of people because you're murder hobos, because most parties are. 
And then like the opposite reaction would be that something grand and grandeur happens on the land above you. Or the opposite. are born on the other side. Yeah, or the opposite. You land on this plane and you're like, oh my God, we need to do good things. You help the people in this land in such a way that they are more prosperous than they were once before. And then the opposite reaction happens on the land above you. And all of a sudden you're seeing just war and shit break out right above you. Oh, oh, hey, yo, that'll that'll teach you that'll teach all of your players to watch what they're doing. Yeah, right. Like your consequences are going to have to like you want to save that guy up there. So I'm going to stab this guy here just to see what happens. And it would be a constant rotation. He's like, oh, shit, war's broken out. Let's go to this other land. Let's let's like fly up there somehow. We get up there. We start saving them. And the shit happens now below you. Oh, my gosh. Split the party. They do stuff on one side and it affects you on the other. I'm sorry, but don't do this thing. Don't do this. Like, as a DM, this is an aneurysm waiting to happen. I hate it, but I love it so much. (laughs) As a player, yes. As a DM, die in a fire, Tyler. (laughs) Okay, that's my saying. You can't just take that. (laughs) I I think is really cool, though, is just taking a step back a little bit and Hmm. just looking back and seeing this is a mirrored world above you. Like, holy crap, you don't see blue sky. You you have weather, yes, but you don't see blue sky. You don't see a sunrise or a Would sunset. Would you have weather? There is some writings, of course, in blur, blur, blurbs, that there are different styles of weather on each side. But again, it's it's not necessarily written in canon. It's just shit that I read. There, so. yeah. But if it, it oh, okay, I'm confused. Again, but, okay. equal, exactly, but the yeah. same. Like, I'm not splitting up the party. I have enough issue wrapping my mind around. Weather. Planner. Weather. <laughs> planner. Rude. Both of you, just rude. Um, the, 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 the whole idea of the planner, like, they are all infinite, yet, me- like, limited, and yeah. uh, they all have their flavor, but they go on for, like, it's... It's weird. It's weird. It's hard but, to manage. Exactly. But Unless you're hand-waving a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's what I would be doing. Yeah. But just this idea of imagine just looking up and seeing another world, whether it is in direct opposition to what you're doing, but it's just such a weird experience. It's you don't see sky, you just see another world above you. Like, are they gonna fall? Are, are they coming down? Yeah. No. And like you could see them leave their tower, come to you, and then come into your realm, right? It's also like, like a constant yeah. wave of like people looking like they're falling through the sky. Yeah. Which I'm I mean, I'm kind of, it's kind of like Babylon uh, uh sorry, no, uh the fifth elements level yeah, of like that's... futuristic city. There are vehicles that transport back and forth between mm-hmm. the two. And I'm 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 in for it. What's a good plot hook for seeing your party end up in Bytopia? For me, it's this whole you're there long enough, you've just become good. So like you have that big bad evil guy that you were trying to see get him to see the evil in his ways because he's got the only way to end some sort of calamity from happening. So you've captured him, you're bringing him here, and you are watching this character, this NPC, slowly go from being a twisted mal feasant evil uh, malicious soul to being good in four days so you see the steps as like compassion and charity and generosity and kindness start to build in this character and then you see that character then have to wrestle with the evils that they've done in a realm that is there to support them in becoming good Mm -hmm. so like i i 
bring the big bad evil guy in so that he can stop the machinations that he started mm. right like i i hate the idea of like oh you just got to go find the macguffin to end the big bad evil guy's thing what if the macguffin is the big bad evil guy and you just can't kill him in the last battle a and b you need to see him you need to reform him to yeah. be able to stop them like it it brings an interesting uh plot thread very yep i like that I would definitely use the plot hook of the fact of restoring the balance between the two worlds. So it would definitely be like either that grand celestial or to your point, it could be the big bad evil guy on the other side brings in this group of folks basically specifically to restore the balance, but Mm -hmm. you don't know what that means. So you come in and you see that this plane you're on is at war and you're like, okay, well let's solve this war. So you solve the war, but then war starts below you. So there's this constant, if you're a group trying to morality, trying to find the balance, you learn that the big bad evil guy is actually the person you're working with. So you fall to the other plane, you start working with the good guy, but then you learn that moral ambiguity of the fact that which side is good if we're trying to restore balance and what does balance look like, right? Yeah, that's my thoughts. Very cool. Um, I love playing with gravity. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And yeah, it's imagine that you're party suddenly brought there because of a cataclysmic event is going to happen that will flip the gravity of one of these planes of one of these realms it's gonna flip and it's gonna collide into the other and the party either needs to stop it or secure a portion of one of the realms and just watch it unfold okay i like it mm-hmm. um megan mm-hmm. how is bitopia dragon ball z <laughs> Okay, hold on. I have to think about this one. We're two in. We got three more to go. Oh, no. Okay, Snake Way. When he falls off Snake Way and he's in hell and then goes back up to Snake, to snake Way and he's in on the line to heaven. Yep. Nailed it. Well done. <laughs> well done. All right. Well, let's talk about the next one. This is the neutral goodest of neutral good realms. This is the realm of Elysium. Sitting in the neutral good spot in the Great Wheel where are the blessed fields of Elysium, which are where the creatures of, quote, unfettered kindness and compassion call home. It is a pleasant, uh, it is, uh, sorry, it is pleasant in landscape, often having tones of idealistic countrysides with rolling fields of easily worked crops, wide, wonderful, and uh, pleasant woodlands full to brimming with life and beauty. The feeling of peace and tranquility permeate to the bone, bringing a rest and vitality to even the most uptight visitor. This is a place of relaxation, of uh, rest. It's it's beautiful. Anyways, Elysium has a fun optional rule called the overwhelming joy, which if you spend long enough in Elysium, literally long enough for just one long rest, you spend one day here, a character has to make a wisdom save or be so full of contentment and relaxation that their cares melt away and they are unwilling to leave for at least the next day to the next long rest. If this goes on far enough and that character fails that save three more times, they are so drawn to the peace of Elysium that they are unwilling to leave the realm at all, uh, having to be forcefully removed if they need to leave. So like, you get to that point where you're so relaxed, so content that you're just like, no, man, I'm good. I'm good. Like there's a little bit of like hippie commune. I feel with this place, which is like a bunch of stoners. Like, nah, nah, but I'm chill. I'm all right. We're good. I think we're like vacation. Like he gets so comfortable on a vacation. I'm like, I I don't want to go back. I have kids. I don't know what a comfortable vacation is. 
so even still, if a character is eventually forced out of Elysium, they will do everything in their power to obtain that piece again, almost like a drug addict would, as soon as they can. Only a dispel evil and good spell will remove this effect. So if you pull somebody who has succumbed to the overwhelming joy of Elysium out of Elysium, it is their life goal to as soon and as immediately as they can get back to Elysium because everything else is just muted and stressful and uh, full of conflict that they cannot bring it into themselves to deal with. Physically, Elysium has four layers, each connected to the other as well as the other plains of the Beastlands and Arborea by the Celestial River Oceanus, which is a good version of the River Styx. Anywhere the river touches overflows with life and nature, often into thick, crowded forests of flowering trees. The further from the river you get, the landscape transforms into more rolling glasslands and other veldt regions. The four regions of Elysium are Amoria, Aronia, Belerin, and Thalasia. Amoria has several astral pools that connect it to the Happy Hunting Grounds, the Twin Paradises, and the Concordant Opposition, further subplanes of the Upper Wheel. Aronia has primarily mountainous regions and is full of life and fauna of all sorts. Balearin is a large and flat, uh, like marshy wetland almost, that is just full of settlements for intelligent and extraplanar beings alike. Finally, Thalasia is a massive ocean. This is where the uh, river Oceanus both starts and ends. Several small verdant islands are scattered throughout the vast ocean, often called Avalon. Uh, one other note of the geography of Elysium is that it has undergone something of a name change since the Spell Plague. The Spell Plague changed more than just the material plane, but also adjusted anything that the weave would touch, including the planar homes of the Malhorand gods, i.e. the Egyptian gods like Ra, Osiris, Horus, and Isis, and a large number of the nature-based deities in the Toral Pantheon. These two locations, known as the Heliopolis and the House of Nature, um, kind of joined in with what Elysium is. With the Spell Plague, these two planes fractured, and merged with Elysium, Mount Celestia, and other locations in the planar wheel, with the latter of the two, the House of Nature, primarily merging with Elysium, forcing gods like Shantae, Sylvanus, Myliki, and Uptau, among others, to reside in this, the pinnacle of neutral good. So if you want good and nature together, Elysium is where you're going to go. It is less about settlements and civilization and um productivity it is more about just like peace and the 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 freedom of nature uh, but who else lives in the blessed fields of elysium well because of the oceanish uh, the oceanus river many fish and other species of wildlife exist in plenty in every environment also holyphants angels like solars plantiers agathea which are somewhat elvish looking celestials and powerful Leon and Baku call Elysium home. The guardians of the plane are the moon dog, which are large uh, silver-furred wolfine creatures with opposable digits on their hands and some other human-like characteristics that kind of make them like celestial werewolves. Um, they are relentless and undeterrable hunters of all forms of evil, 
using a series of barks and whines to create magical effects that could dispel, trap, or instill righteous fear in even the most resolute of evil creatures within earshot. This could even uh, get so powerful um, if a bunch of them are doing it at the same time that it could dismiss evil beings um, with their howl. It is also notable that phoenixes are native to Elysium. This is where they come from. So your big ass firebirds are born here. Now, Elysium functions as the afterlife destination for those who died in the service of good, like heroes spared from death uh, from good gods who would be placed on paradise islands of Avalon in the Thalasian Ocean. No responsibility exists for anyone who uh, deserves this rest, and all of their needs are automatically provided for. Like, this is your lifelong Hawaii vacation on a beach for the rest of eternity because you've earned it. You are a soldier for the, uh, for good. Now, one further note is, uh, those in Elysium being the plane of freedom are incapable of being summoned or controlled by literally any means, but the highest of deific magic. So if you have found yourself in Elysium, you cannot be scried upon. You cannot be summoned. You cannot be defined. You are just free and rightfully so you don't have to worry about being spied on it's not going to happen because it can't okay so let's grab our dice let's talk about elysium what about elysium inspires you most i got an eight 18 14 megan what about elysium inspires you most i love how so many mystical creatures just live here yeah in harmony you know what i mean so it's almost like if you were to be here as a crew of folks, you just rock up to a fucking Phoenix and you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to be like, oh, I want to kill you. Like, it's just like. <laughs> yeah, you, know you like it, walk up. What's going on? I'm hot. So hot. I'm but on it, fire all the time. It would be such a polarized like experience for players that are so used to when I see these things that are supposedly big, big bads in my world are just living here in peace and harmony in yeah. existence. You know what I mean? Like they're just these beings that exist. Like to your point, celestial werewolves. If you were to come across one of those in a regular plane, you'd be like, mm, I need to murder this or like take off its curse. You know what I mean? But yeah. here they live in harmony. They're kind to each other. They live synonymously. Like it's just a, it's such a weird concept to me that you would walk into rock up to this place, see all these different creatures that would be murdering each other in real life, but are living peacefully. Yeah. It's just such an inspiring piece to me. Well, you have to think like all of, if you are in Elysium, all of your needs are provided. So there's no like hunting that is really, I mean, the act of hunting is happening, but it's not coming at the cost of another intelligent soul or of like violence. Like it's just the most peaceful, free version of all that. Yeah. There's no need for survival. So yeah. why, why fight? Exactly. Right? Yeah. I like the idea that when I heard moon dog, I'm like, Hmm, that's like some sort of like club that they would all go to. Yeah, let's go to the moon dog. <laughs> I, I like, I honestly, I love the moon dogs because they are good aligned werewolves. Oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> that immediately made my brain going for plot hooks. Well, let's talk about it. Megan, plot hooks. <laughs> uh, I feel like you'd be a wizard adventuring for certain materials that only come from mystical creatures that are hard to find where you come from. So you travel here to find those materials from these creatures, but then you have a morality point of being like, hmm. I can't take these spell components from these creatures because they're actually being kind to me. So it's, again, I get playing on that morality piece. I think yeah. that'd be a lot of fun to play with. I, uh, Tyler? Um, 
I think a great thought for this would be the party is transported to Elysium without knowing where they are. And the longer they spend there, the more they want to stay. It's like, we're in need of, gosh, guys, we have had a heck of a time. This is a nice place to rest. No, let's just rest for a day or two. No, just just relax. But it, again, the longer they stay, the more they want to stay. I think it'd be a great plot hook of even your characters wind up staying there and you, you start another campaign and that campaign is going to get the characters out or one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of, uh, when it comes to Elysium, this is where I'm going to start to bring in the idea of the thin little veils that appear between the different planes on the material plane. Um, you can often get to areas that are like um, fed in with the essence of certain planar areas. Like uh, you'll get to a tropical island that is uh, oddly excessively volcanic, right? And while well, the fire elemental plane has kind of cut in here and has breached that thin veil. I want to see a place that has that with like Elysium where there is a single moon dog on the material plane who is protecting the gateway to Elysium in this like verdant forest with like a wide uh, um, clearing. Uh, if you have read, oh, if you have read the Belgarath, the Sorcerer books by David Eddings um, and, and all of those series, the veil, which is where Belgarath and Beldin and, and all of his brothers learn their magic, is one of the best ideas I have for an Elysium where they're there, they build and they learn and they live in peace and harmony. Um, and uh, you have this one moon dog that's there who's a hyper intelligent werewolf who is like trying to teach them, but then shifting and going and solving problems in the world because they cannot help themselves. but you know, fight evil. Right. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really, I really like this idea of like Elysium being a kind of this um, placed on the material plane in this area that's a thin veil and your party has to go there or has to bring their uh, lycanthropy afflicted friend to go meet the moon dog who will then help them uh, reclaim the power of their affliction and make their curse a blessing. Right. So uh, Megan. Yeah. How is Elysium Dragon Ball Z? Okay. So I had two theories as we were talking about this. The first- I tried to give you lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. It's okay. So the first theory is, you know how like when in King Enma, like when you die and you go up there and you're just a cloud, everyone is the same. Yep. That was kind of how I was thinking in the first place because everybody's on the same playing field. Everybody's getting what they need. Nobody really wants to leave. Uh, they're going to do what they can to stay there. So it, it, but in cloud form. Okay. And then I was trying to find the name of the place, but this pushes us into Dragon Ball Super, the land okay. which, where um, Beerus and Whis live, where everything is provided for them in Dragon Ball Super. That was also what I was thinking of. I have another place too that I was thinking when I think of Elysium and how it kind of goes into Dragon Ball Z, Roshi's Island. Roshi's yeah. Island, okay. All Roshi's right. Island is a good bit, yeah. Just where he and the just pure fact that it's vac- it's always, vacation island, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's vacation <laughs> all the time. And like, yeah. don't like, don't care, just you know, grab your porn and hide off in a circle somewhere. You're fine, that's You're true. Fine. Yeah. Porn is always provided. <laughs> if you like what you've been hearing so far, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, on r slash it's mimic on Reddit. You can also contact us at info. Uh, at itsamimic.com. If you guys have mailbag questions, please let us know. There's 
always room for more. Even though we have, I don't know how many, but we're always looking for more. Also, guys, please leave some positive reviews for us. Share it on social media. But most of all, guys, what the best way to do it is word of mouth. Tell your friends about it. All right, guys. So the next area is the beast lamps. And this is kind of your neutral and chaotic good place. And if we were to kind of think of it, what it looks like, it's nature unhinged. And don't think of just jungles everywhere. No, this is jungles. This is forests. This is grassy plains, snowy glades, anything. And there is no nice paths to walk. No, this is not a walk in the park. This is, again, nature everywhere. Uh, one of the unique mechanics that is actually found here is something called the Hunter's Paradise. And it gives you advantage on animal handling, perception, and survival checks, which is pretty cool, especially when you're in this kind of place. But something that's even blew my mind when I saw this, and I just want to have so much fun with it, is this, I, this one called Beast Transformation. And if you kill a beast of the realm here, of, of this realm, you have to make a DC Charisma 10 save, or you become the creature via polymorph. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, now, you can repeat the save after a long rest. However, if you fail the save three times, you permanently become the beast, unless a remove curse spell is used. Sorry, or, I remove magic. I was about to say, I remove magic spell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. That's uh, neat. Uh, again, if you're going around in Astral Plains, this is that emerald green color pool. Now, if we borrow from outside of Fifth, we can also see that this is also called the Happy Hunting Grounds, which is also known. Dan, you're you're more of the history nerd. I believe the Happy Hunting Grounds is something that's been used in history before, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, mm. This is also, it has three layers to it. Uh, Krigala of the noonday sun, Brooks or Brooks of the dusk and dawn red sky, and Karasuthra, land of the starlight. So you kind of get this idea of, more uh, again, noon, morning, and dawn, and just this midnight realm. Yeah. Again, if, really fun. If you want to look into it, the Happy Hunting Ground is a Native American. Um, That's what I thought, yeah. Afterlife uh, thing. Yeah, it's really cool. I did a lot of research into it when I was doing Call of Cthulhu stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so again, common people here, anything from the animal kingdom, take that, think about that for a moment. Anything from the animal kingdom can be found here. Mm -hmm. uh, again, you have solars, holyphants, planetoids. It's, it's a common, these are all celestials that you find here. But there's this really interesting one that when I was digging into this a little bit called a mortai. And they are cloud-like creatures with human faces. Creepy. Oh, very creepy. They're amazing. I think is you're in a good realm, so it's not like they're gonna suck the life out of me. They're gonna do something absolutely horrible to me. You're in a, it's still creepy though when you see just this cloud and you think it's just like a bit of fog or something, then it turns to you and looks at you. It's like what the is that <laughs> Uncle is that Uncle Jimmy? <laughs> um, again, so people from here, you have just two really quickly like uh, Corlin, who's the Kenko deity. Mm -hmm. And also the Sealy Court often comes to visit the Beastlands. Like the, yeah. it, the Sealy Court transports to various different places. This is one of its common places it likes to go. Well, I mean, when you consider that the fact that Beastlands are kind of nature truly unfettered, the bleeding from the Feywild is not natural. hard to, yeah, it, it, pardon the pun, is natural. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, so that's what I got, guys, for the Beastlands. Cool. Well, let's let's roll dice and figure out what inspires you most about the Beastlands. I got another 18. Four. I got a nine. 
what inspires me most about the Beastlands? Ah, uh, honestly, I love this. Like this to me is the one that is like, this is what Narnia really is. Mm. Like um, your, your children sitting on the throne of Narnia are the Sealy court kind of not like that. Like, let's, let's be honest. That's what they are. Um, what would they prefer? Gummies and sweets rather than other things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I, I look at this, like you have conversations with animals, every single animal here is intelligent and if, uh, but it's hunting, it is, it is the happy hunting ground. So like, there are animals that are just like, yep, it's my turn and they're okay with it. It's part of, it's part of life here and you get hunted and then you turn into a thing and then that thing might get promoted to a, a higher form or, or a better thing, yeah. <laughs> a better thing or a different thing, right? Like it, it's, there's never really any entropy or decay um or really death in the beastlands um but it's uh its view on just unfettered natural world is is really appealing to me um you probably find a lot of elves and eladrin and forest gnomes that call this place home Mm. um so i it it really speaks to me as kind of like if you're looking at the very like uh happy view of the fairy and fae and like how everybody's so happy and like gallivanting in the woods and singing songs and partying all the time well that's the beastlands right mm-hmm. and that's that's what i see that as i like this idea of that it's honoring the land like everywhere else has been have a great time it's so happy it's a great place this is one of the first realms i feel that it really is honoring the land mm. and this idea again i think it's amazing that you have to make a, a charisma saving throw or transforming to the beast that you killed it's now, very telling that it's a charisma saving throw yeah because mm-hmm. it is your yeah. will is being pushed on by the will of the creature whose life you took yeah, yeah. i like this idea that nature is defending itself here yeah it's not just oh do whatever you want oh no oh no yeah um, I love that any creature lives here, period. Yeah. Like, I just, again, like, I feel like you could definitely land a, a party here for any particular reason. And they come across these wild ass creatures they would never think they would come across in the most outlandish places. Like, you can have the smartest D&D player be super confused as to why there is this specific creature in this, this specific place. You know what I mean? Because it's so hard to scare or tactically put fear into someone who is an experienced D player yeah. i feel like the beastlands is the place to do that because yeah. there's no rhyme or reason for the types of creatures they would run into here and that to me is super inspiring have the monkeys steal you have the monkeys steal all of the party's crap i just want to scare the shit out of dan because anytime we run into anything in D, dan knows what it is and i'm just like uh, <laughs> there's been times where i've been surprised Kel right? surprise. Like, yeah. Um, let's let's talk about some plot hooks. Sure. Uh, honestly, it, when it comes to the happy hunting grounds, I'm going to pull on my love for a different television program. Don't worry, Megan. We will talk about Dragon Ball Z in a second. Um, Phenomenal. We'll talk about uh, Supernatural and the idea of the first. Um, Supernatural had like the first vampire, the first werewolf, like those kind of concepts. But like we look at our material plane, and you have like owl bears and other monstrosities that were like created by mad wizards, uh, like by amalgamating two beasts together. Um, well, when those beasts died, they were kind of tortured souls who never got really a chance to understand what they were, 
what happened to them? Well, they wound up in the beast lands and have become fully formed creatures in and of themselves that over the centuries of their existing here now look and behave so much better. uh, so differently from the their versions of home. So like owl bears are the thing that speaks to me. I love owl bears. I'm getting a tattoo of an owl bear eventually. I love owl bears. Love so, that for you. Um, the the uh, my like two favorite animals are owls and bears. So it just mixes. Um, the uh, the idea that your party has to go and like find the first owl bear, or your party just comes across the first owl bear, right? Who then, because you're in the Beastlands, has a fully formed conversation about how he was created by who, right? Like there's mm. there's so many different little fun things you can do. And you can do this with every single monstrosity in the book, right? So yep. uh, l- like you look at your Hydra and you go see your first Hydra who lives in the Beastlands. Mm. So there's this 20,000 headed Hydra who keeps on like, people are keeping on trying to kill it. And it's just like, guys, it's just, Leave me alone. I already have enough going on here. Like, yeah. I don't need another one of me. Finding a place to rest my head to sleep is a nightmare. Just mm. give me some space. <laughs> right? Like, um, I, the idea of firsts is what I would pull on when I'm playing in the Beastlands. Love that. Tyler? Yeah. I think one thing that would be really interesting is that the party has to search for someone who has been transformed mm. into a beast. And that person, and just because it's, maybe it's a MacGuffin they have, or maybe it's information that this person has that they need to bring to the material realm. Yeah. And they have to find it, find this person first. And so they have to search the beast lands to find it. And this person doesn't want to be found. They mm-hmm. purposely went there. And when they became whatever they became, they found true peace there and just want to stay and so you have to try and find this this person and convince them to either uh, please show yourself or come back with us yeah or maybe throw the uh, remove magic spell on them and suddenly <laughs> remove <Why>? magic. <laughs> i'm glad that's becoming canon remove magic <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome Megan. wizards of the coast make that for me thank you I love that. It's a spell called Dispel Magic. Like, it's there. It's different. This is Remove All Magic. This is Remove (laughs) This is like Anti-Magic Field, but like a directed spell. It's literally a hand wave. You describe it as a hand wave. (laughs) Your Ruby (laughs) Rod from Fifth Element. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, It's a literal hand wave for DMs, too. What is that? It's Remove Magic. It's Remove Remove Magic. magic. Don't worry about it. Um, a plot hook I would love to play is, and I like to do the thing where something simple becomes something super complicated. So I like the idea that someone's familiar passed away and was returned to the Beastlands because that's where they came from. And now that character's goal in life is to find their familiar, learning that they're in their Beastlands, finding their way to the Beastlands, and now have to find their familiar. So similar to the idea of having to like search and seek and find like the, that kind of similar basic quest. But it's going to be something that is very particular to one character at your table, which is very hard to convince the rest of their people at your table to go and do something that one character wants to do. So I, again, playing with the morality, making something super simple, super complicated, because they will never get their familiar back unless they go to these beast lands and retain their, their actual familiar. So I just think that's a very heartwarming story to have. And I think that would be a very good romantic meeting moment in the end. And that's just things that I love. So cool. Mm-hmm. Dragon Ball Z? Yeah. What is this place in Dragon Ball Z? Oh, this is Planet Vegeta, my guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. What, as soon as you said there's a court here, I'm like, okay, it's the Saiyans. 
<laughs> come on beasts monkeys come on it's yeah, planet okay. vegeta yeah, yeah. okay fair. <laughs> easy peasy lemon squeezy all right megan hit us with arborea all right arborea it's a chaotic good plane that is basically elven haven uh, it is the resting place for good elves and basically party people. I kind of like think of this place as like the Greek painting of uh, people feeding each other grapes and drinking wine. That's kind of how I picture it in my is head. Is it just like 24-7 rave music? One, it, it speaks of it as a party place. So <laughs> very much so. Uh, and again, to the point where people don't want to leave. In fact, this optional rule in this land is if the longer you stay, the more likely you are to not want to leave or just be left with an eternal longing to return. So basically, the longer you stay, it's a DC charisma saving throw, again, with the charisma of five plus how many days you have stayed there. And if you don't save, then you have no desire to leave or you are, if you do have to leave, you are constantly wanting to come back. Like this is a, this is a, I need that hit of like drug EDM yeah. music as soon as I can kind of can, feel. Can I, can I just say as a severe introvert who likes peace and quiet and like a good book is how I would rather spend my Friday night. Um, this sounds like hell. Kind of. So <laughs> Both emotions of love and rage are celebrated equally in this land. So for there's, instance, there's, there's some dead good elves just anger fucking all over the place. But yeah, so inherently because it is a good land, they're driven to fight against evil and dark powers and all that good stuff. However, sometimes emotions will run a little bit too high and a bitch will get murdered. Like, and, it, oh, and it's no. celebrated because love and rage are celebrated equally within this land. Is this the celestial Jersey Shore? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so describe this place. It is a mountainous place that's lush with forests and bodies of water that are just untamed. So anyone traveling here would have to have something armed with some kind of survival. Absolutely. Okay. This is a, you're going to be traveling some, some, some lush lands. So as I mentioned, this is kind of like an elven haven. So it inhabits mostly elves and elven deities. And also this place has three layers. So this would make it easier for Dan because level three uh, Avondor is going to be your elven court. So this is where all them parties happen. This is where the Events. hunt challenges happen. The feasts happen. Um, all oh, those peace. big uns uns parties occur. Layer two is Aqualore, which is an eternal ocean. So it's just water. It is lit only by a moon. So it is nighttime pretty much all the time mixed in Ooh. with there. It's just an endless river and a bottomless ocean, basically. That's awesome. And yeah. then layer three is a fucking desert. It's called Mithardir, which is roughly translates to white dust and it is just a vast desert is there anything in the desert no there is some weird like random history again from like random places yeah, yeah. spewed from like random areas of what has occurred no one really knows why this place became a desert uh, but there is some history of who lives within this desert and other things that have happened within this desert but no one knows why it became a desert so I just find that a very interesting plot point or just interesting thing about it is that it has three very significant different areas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of them. I'm not too keen on going to. No, 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 no. Oh. I have to go to the party, the 24 seven party, yeah. which I, I got to get some sleep y'all. Um, <laughs> the, the, the massive ocean. I'm not that strong of a swimmer. Not, yeah. but no thanks. Or the massive desert. I'm Irish. I burn when it's raining. Uh, so, <laughs> I, like, no, no. So, oh, really? I actually gravitate to the other two just because there's so much that you can do with with those. It's just like, uh, sorry, it's just like a, a play place. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So let's grab our dice and roll. What inspires us most about Arborea? I got a 12. 16. I got another nat one. Oh. All right. Megan, okay. what inspires I love the, you about Arborea? I love the fact that elves like to party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just seems so almost out of character that I would love to lean so hard into that. The fact that you rock up to this world and there's a bunch of, like, distinguished elves throughout the day. And then once 9 p.m. hits... And cover is free. All that long, <laughs> glowing, perfectly like laid out elven hair is just like messy and sticky and on oh, their face. There's got like body paint everywhere, glow in the dark shit, just flying glitter. left, right, and center. Oh. Glitter everywhere. Mm, and I love it. Are, it just appears on them. It's not like they painted on themselves. So it just appears on them yeah, once it's nine their, hits. They're nighttime wear, you yeah, know? This, this like, is where the tantrum <laughs> dancing lights came from. All of them dancing oh, lights. Right? Yeah. Just, just like strobes <laughs> in the air. I hate it, but I love it so much. <laughs> and it just stinks. Like it's just, it, it, it smells. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It smells so good because they're elves. <laughs> yeah, it, it smells, but it's not like, it's just like a, a lavender. It's just like oh, a, yeah. a oh. constant lavender smell. Just always lavender. Which lavender is why and lemon. I would hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for me, what inspires me about this place? All of the ways I would hate it. Um, <laughs> but I do think like if if there's courts and the elves are there partying and this is where the elves go when they die, like if you want to know the secrets of ancient days past, you want to know like how that upstart nation Netheril started behaving. If you want to mm. know how like the war with the giants between like giants and dragons, how that was going. Mm. This is where you go, right? This is, and and you go find that one like ancient, wrinkly, gray haired, um, wizened old elf grandmother just tearing up the rug to to some uh, cha-cha slide or whatever it is, right? <laughs> like everybody clap your hands. And there's this like itty bitty little elf. It's uh, just the Macarena, just the simple like, yeah. Oh gosh, what's going on. It's <laughs> the real version of it. Just yep. just like a constant wedding dance floor, but like at 11 o'clock at night when like most of the sensible, sensible people have left to go relieve the babysitters and there's just the people who like this is their one chance to cut loose. Yeah. Like all the time. <laughs> it's the party plane. Yeah. yeah. Tyler? I think what inspires me most about this is I love the different planes that you, yes, you have this one that is like constant parties, but you also have one that's this eternal ocean and one that's this eternal desert. And if you're looking at a, for a place that you could do a campaign that's not also goody two-shoes that you could actually have, because remember, both love and rage are celebrated here. So you could be killing people or doing things in a rage and it's celebrated here. Yeah. Like this is a perfect emotion in its most raw form. Exactly. Here, yeah. Just you could easily run a campaign in either one of these. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, let's talk about plot hooks for Arborea. I would love to run a full romance court game within the Elven court. Ooh. So let's talk Bridgerton for a hot sec. Do we have to? <laughs> We've mentioned a lot of TV shows. I think we've hit our quota. We okay. don't have to talk about Bridgerton. No, we don't have to. Okay, so then I won't talk about it. I will just say I would love to run a court game with Like Bridgerton. Like Bridgerton. Yeah, okay. 
on the in the Elven Haven. Like, I just think that would be a whole heck of a lot of fun. Because in my mind, again, if rage and love are celebrated equally, imagine how many duels there would be over someone's hand in marriage. Oh yeah. This clan. yeah. Like, I just feel like it'd be so much fun to run such high at a high. I love high emotion games. I don't so even. I, think, I don't even think like marriage would be a big thing here. There's just a lot of polyamory. There's a lot of. Oh yeah. Right, uh, like daily marriage. Yeah. Daily right, marriage. like you are mine for the hour. Yeah, (laughs) but then not. So let's duel about it. You know what I mean? Like it would just be a heck of a lot. You're mine for the hour, but only because I want to fight that dude. You're my excuse. Yeah, fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) You were you were great. An hour later, you suck. I'm gonna kill you now. Oh, oh boy. (laughs) Um. So for mine, um, I I don't want you to go there, but (laughs) but. We talk about how much elves are partying in, in this in this upper uh, subplane region. But if you want to have a place where like good pirates went to die, imagine an eternal ocean that needs to be explored, right? Like imagine what kind of adventures you can have where um, aspects, I kind of look at... Uh, um, I, I forget what movie it was and I'm going to get absolutely lambasted for it, but, um, you go into this, uh, world and there are pieces of the past that have just ended up here, right? Chaotically, right? Uh, yeah. And, and everything from like, uh, for lack of a better analog, the Statue of Liberty and a pizza cart and, like a roller coaster car and a portion of the Acropolis. Like there's like all of these things and you are floating this lone pirate ship, this lone galleon with your spectral crew or, or, or these people who you have grown in friendship with and you are trying and, and you're just exploring. You're just seeing what adventures the seas of Arborea have for you. Right. Um, you would, I think because it's not necessarily a, there's nothing limiting bad guys to be here, really. Um, that Like, you would have exactly. aboleths everywhere within the uh, ocean, right? Um, that are just, you'd have kraken, multiple krakens. Krakens, yeah. But like, uh, multiple is still kraken. But like, you'd have, you'd have, hundreds, you'd have hundreds of kraken and the 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 wonderful flavors of the water realm like there's so much you could do with it um and 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 an eternal ocean you want a pirate campaign here you go yeah yeah i was actually i was actually thinking that too but the other idea that crossed my mind and you're talking about raw rage and emotion and this idea of in a desert and let's i'm gonna bring another pop culture reference here mad max yeah the desert like yeah. totally like the this is, you could either use the movie or the video game, either one. But my gosh, the stuff that you could do here, that using that it's, you're honestly fighting to be the best and it's celebrated and it's yeah. insane. That is raw emotion there. And it's mostly rage, yeah. mostly. I like how we went to the opposite sides of the spectrum. You're like, I got a Mad Max rage this. I'm like, I got a Bridgerton love this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Megan. How is Arborea Dragon Ball Z? Unfortunately, it's planet Earth, Satin City. So, and the reason, yeah, because like it's a place of just constant disarray and no one seems to care. Cool. 
I would also say it's how oblivious it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there's always, and the thing we always forget about Dragon Ball Z because it becomes so normal is that so many different creatures live within the Satin City. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. All right, guys, any final thoughts about the Upper Plains? I love <sighs> it. I want to explore them either as a DM or as a player. I, I think they're criminally undersupported. Yeah. Like yeah. we have, we have an entire campaign about going to Avernus. Right. We, we see the breakdown of what each of the nine levels of hell are in 5e, plus their who runs them. We've seen the domains of delight and the domains of dread and, and what the shadow felt like. I want to see what the uh, pick one. I think the best one personally, if I were to choose which one I would base a book out of, I would go to Elysium. Right. I, I would go mm-hmm. to uh, uh, have a sh- screenshot of Mount Celestia and update it to 5e. Yeah. It's criminally undersupported in 5e. You get lots of information from previous editions, but when it comes to bringing into this edition and you're starting to bring in planar stuff, we need to start hitting the upper planes. We've hit a lot of the transitory and lower planes. Haven't even looked at any of the upper planes. So, and, the, and we've discovered there's lots you can do here. There's yeah. lots you can do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be it for this discussion on the upper planes, but there are a lot of other planes in Dungeons and Dragons. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what other inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be talking once again about one of my favorite races in Dungeons and Dragons, this time from a player's perspective. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsmimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of our podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we are available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Okay, guys. So I we've been talking about the outer realms and the heavens. And so my question for you guys is this. What food or drink that you usually love in real life would you be most excited to eat in these heavens? which could potentially blow your mind because it tastes amazing. Do we want to roll dice on this one? <laughs> Six. And Six. Oh, re-roll. Re-roll, you two. Eight. Nineteen. Boom. All right, so I'll go first, then Tyler, and then Megan. Um, what food or drink from current reality do I hope is in heaven? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, or what would blow my mind? Um, uh, shocking to nobody. I'm a fairly simple person. Um, so, uh, my mom, my biggest comfort food is a dish my mom made when I was growing up and it is homemade macaroni and cheese with spinach, garlic, and chicken kind of mixed all together. Hmm. Um, and because I'm a peasant, I, I put ketchup on it. Um, and that is judgments. That is my, (laughs) that is like straight up my comfort food. Um, I am on keto right now because I desperately need to lose weight. Um, and I found a way to make it keto a while ago. I love that. That's and uh, it's not keto if you eat four bowls of it. No. Um, just, this is something I learned. That's just a heart attack. It's That's waiting to happen. <laughs> that is just a happy soul, unhappy uh, capillaries. You might so, as well just drink the, the oil straight from the bottle, my guy. <laughs> you, say, you say that like I didn't. <laughs> you know what? Fair. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler, what you got? 
I would have to say my preferred thing would be just traditional fish and chips. Like oh. I want to see how it would be made. I'm a cook. I love to make food. I have my own homemade recipe. I make homemade fish and chips. Oh. And so I would want like to see what this would taste like in heaven. Just be like, how good can it be? Just like, and yes, I would love it to blow my mind and then repeatedly do it over and over. What kind of fish? It's important. It is important. You're absolutely right. <laughs> to be honest, I like to, I like to fish and chip just about any kind of fish. That's for me. It's the it's the mixture and the batter that you use in accordance with each kind of fish. It it has to be a white flesh fish. Do yep. you can't you can't have fish and chips with salmon. Does not I, work. That doesn't mean I can't try. Or tuna. Uh, uh, yeah, well that's no. true. But my my preferred is cod. No, uh, I mean it's poor man fish. The halibut's pretty decent is my favorite. Oh gosh, I would love halibut, but you know yeah. how expensive that is? Not in heaven, bro. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. I, there could be a fish out there that's even better. Five fish, two loaves. Let's do this. I do, ew, gross. <laughs> that's the name of your sex tape, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. You're welcome. Oh boy. Um, I don't eat seafood. Seafood's gross. So this whole conversation was just nasty to me. <laughs> Use chicken. Perfection. Chicken um, strips and chips. There you go. Homemade. I would do that absolutely. Oh, love, yeah. love me a good really chicken good. with a with a really good honey mustard dip. Mm. Oh, spicy uh, mustard though. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's uh, gotta have some kick. I'll some have spice. to I'll have to make it for you, Megan, because I made that before, and it is amazing with again the homemade batter that I perfected with a recipe. I like this. I like this idea. Yeah. I like I like the idea of people making me food. This sounds great. <laughs> but if there is one thing, Megan, yeah, in heaven, what is it for you? Uh, bourbon. <laughs> Enough said. Yeah, you, you win. Go. That's it. Period. Well yeah. Are you drinking bourbon right now? Mm-hmm. Jealous. It's the last of my decanter, so I have to open a new bottle now. Oh, I'll be right over. <laughs> That'll be empty then. Yeah. Megan, how you is guys... Arboria Dragon Ball Z? You didn't give me your plot hooks though. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. fine. Fine. Okay. Tell me your plot hooks first, and then I will tell you my Dragon Ball Z theory. Thanks for listening. Bye. Okay, bye.